0: All right, church, how are we? Good? Good, good, man. You looking good? You smell good? That's good? That's good. It's a good weekend. It's going to be a great week as well. A lot going on. Some of you just heard about. Uh, we got our parent conference coming up Tuesday night. That's going to be amazing. Uh, just come to hear uh, them talk in their Australian accents. You just know they are smarter than us. And uh, when you listen to them talk, so that's going to be great. Also Wednesday night, uh, like you heard, we're going to have our, our time at our Jasper location where we get a chance to put scripture in the foundation before the slab is poured. And that's going to be incredible. Um, and it's been a journey. We started that that. Uh, Revolution Church in Jasper a couple years ago, uh, and we bought land and had built that building, or building that building, but anytime we build something around here, uh, it's like everything that can go wrong goes wrong, and it just takes time, and so just like in Canton, we were portable in Canton for eight years as a church, which is crazy, we've been portable in Jasper for a couple years, so Jasper, thank you so much for setting up and tearing down and doing all that you've done, because in that that portable phase, it really builds the church, there's a lot of community that goes into into that. And now in Canton, we've been permanent here for a while, for since 2013, and so several years now. And in Jasper, hopefully sometime this year, we'll get to move into that location and then continue to multiply. So it's going to be an exciting time in the life of our church. Come out Wednesday, 6.30, with your favorite scripture. We'll put it in the foundation, then pour the slab. And that way, literally, the church is built on the foundation of the Word of God. And that's why we're preaching through the book of Romans, because we want to be a church that's built on the foundation of the word. And so just teaching through it, uh, we do that quite often, whether it's just in a series like this, teaching through a a, a book, which is what we do a lot, or just teaching on a subject. Either way, it's always coming back to the foundation of the word. And so before we get into the word of God this week, we're gonna be in Romans, the the last part of Romans chapter two. So if you got a Bible, you can go and open it up there. Uh, Before we jump into that though, let's pray as always and ask God to bless our time together, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus, who is the embodiment of the word. He is the word made flesh. And so God, as we open your word today, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to see the truth in it because we know it all comes by your spirit as we're gonna see today. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. So we're actually gonna close out the end of Romans chapter two today. And so we got a lot of text to get through. We're gonna start in verse 12, work our way to verse 29. And so quite a bit of text that we're gonna get to. And so you gotta hang with me, all right? But I want you to see this. The reason why we broke it up like this is because Paul's gonna continue his conversation that he was having when we were looking at the first part of Romans chapter two last week where he talked about all of us, Jew and Gentile alike, are in the same position and God shows no partiality. And so what that means is no one's got a leg up with God. And so he's gonna continue that conversation, and today you're gonna to see a Jewish person next to a Gentile person, or we could say a religious person versus a non-religious person, and he's gonna show us how both of us are lawbreakers. And that's exactly what he's gonna say in verse 12 and 13. So let's start there, and then that'll frame the conversation for the rest of our time together. Verse 12, he says this, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Not the hearers, but the what? The doers. All right, let's try that again. Not the hearers, Jasper, you too, but the what? Doers. Doers. If you knew, I'd like for you to call and respond, all right, so I know you're alive out there. What Paul's saying here is this. Listen, it doesn't matter at the end of the day whether you've heard the word of God or not heard the word of God. What matters is what you're doing. And here's what he's arguing. He's arguing that both groups of people, Jewish people who have the law or the Old Testament or Gentile people who didn't have the Old Testament, both will be judged based upon what they do. And that is a righteous judgment because both sets have their own law. So Gentile people who don't have the law, which that would be us if you are not ethnically Jewish, if you didn't have the law, you're still gonna perish without the law because you have a law, as you're gonna see in just a second, and you don't obey it. But those that had the law that were given the Old Testament scriptures, they too will be judged because not just because they heard the law, but because they didn't obey it. They broke the law. They didn't do the law. And so the statement here that slays all of us is it's not the hearers, but the doers. It's not the hearers, but the doers. Again, think as parents, especially if you have kids, you understand this. You know your kids heard you say that, but they didn't do it. In fact... Sometimes they may argue, hey, I didn't hear that. And it's like, well, you still know that you have to clean your room. I didn't have to say it and you hear it. You know you gotta do it, so I'm still gonna judge you for it. But sometimes, most times, let's be honest, parents, you know they heard you. But if they heard you, then they're even more guilty because they didn't do it. And so Paul's categorizing, basically there are two groups of people here. The two groups of people are those who grew up knowing the law, and we might think today as Christians or religious people, you grew up in church, you knew the law, but then there's another group of people maybe didn't grow up in church, weren't ethnically religious, and they didn't grow up hearing the law, but they too are still guilty. Why? Because both break the law that they have. Neither groups obey. So those two things, those two groups are going to frame the rest of our message. And so let's look at the first group, because that's where he goes next, of those that he would say are without the law, or what the Bible would call Gentiles. So look at verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Verse 16, on that day, when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, whenever the Bible refers to that day, I don't get really excited Because on that day, he says, God will judge the secrets of men. You got some secrets? Yeah, you do. And if you don't, if you say that you don't, you're lying, which is a secret, all right? We all have secrets. Let me say it to you like this. Have you done some things that you don't want anybody to know about? Yeah, all of us, myself included, especially me. I feel like Paul, I'm the worst sinner among us. And so on that day, God will judge the secrets of our hearts by Christ Jesus. That word there, by, is a preposition. If you've been around here, you know I like prepositions. a preposition of means, which means that is the person through which God is going to judge. So God, the Father, is going to judge all of us by Jesus, through Jesus. So Jesus is going to do the judging. And what is he going to do it? What is the standard by which he's going to do it? That's the next preposition there, according to. That is a preposition of respect. And what that means is R-E-S-B-E-C-T. No, that's not that. But here's the point. He's going to judge us according to or in respect to the gospel. Now, the gospel is the good news about what Christ has done. So here's what Paul is arguing. God is going to judge every person with respect to Jesus' ability to obey the law. And Jesus obeyed the law perfectly perfectly. So we'll all get judged by Jesus according to the work of Jesus. And here's what that means. None of us have obeyed as perfectly as Jesus. And so it's not a matter of whether or not if your sin is worse than the sin of the person next to you, which is normally how we judge, isn't it? Well, I'm not a murderer. That's what we say. Well, I'm not as bad as her. That's not how God's gonna judge. He's gonna judge you, are you as good as him? It's not as as I'm as bad as them, but are you as good as him? Are you as good as Jesus? Well, of course not. And this group called the Gentiles, which again, just ethnically means you're not of Jewish descent, which means you weren't of the nation of Israel, which means you didn't have the law of God or the Torah given to you. Even those people, who didn't have the law will still be judged, why? Because they have a law written on their hearts. They have a law. They have a conscience. In fact, if someone doesn't have a conscience, we call them a psychopath and we lock them up, right? So everybody here today, whether you grew up in church or not, whether you would say you're religious or not, you have a law written on your heart. Here's what that means. You have a standard of right and wrong. You have a standard of right and wrong. And the really ridiculous conversation that we keep having in culture, which every culture who has ever lived has had this conversation is, it is a subjective standard. It's wrong because I say it's wrong. Again, you see this all the way back to Adam and Eve. Like, well, this is what God said. Well, this is what I think. And then you see it in their kids, Cain and Abel, right? this is my law. I'm gonna take matters into my own hands. Every human being that has ever lived has done that. You and I are no exception. But here's the problem. You and I, we can't even keep our own law. We can't even keep our own standards. So not only are we subjective when it comes to law, like we don't want an objective truth. We don't want a God in heaven who wrote a book who tells us what is right and wrong. We don't want that, but that's not the only problem. The other problem is we can't even keep our own standards as subjective as they are. So God's gonna judge you by the standard in which you judge others. This is why we said last week, you better be careful who you pass judgment on, sucker. You be passing judgment on somebody else, God says, I'm just gonna use that same standard against you. Same standard against you. He's like, what? Because we know we're guilty, don't we? We have a conscience. There's something in us that God put there, imprinted on our hearts that we know we have made a mistake and we are guilty whether we grew up in church or not. That was highlighted to me this week as I was studying normally on Tuesday and Wednesday mornings is my study time so I set aside the whole morning to go and study so I drop the kids off normally go to a coffee shop somewhere and study and it's a requirement if you go into coffee shops now because everybody likes to go and study in co-working spaces but the key is noise canceling headphones so you got to have noise-canceling headphones, at least I do, because it's hard for me to study. And so I normally have noise-canceling headphones, and I listen to classical music, because that joins the other part of my brain, the part that's, that's studying. I was going to say the part that's smart, but that's even questionable, right? But, but the logical part to the artistic part, and then those two, and it really helps me study. And so I'm sitting there studying on Tuesday, and a guy sits down next to me, and he starts working on his computer, and then all of a sudden he answers the phone. And he was one of those really loud Public phone talkers. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been around those people? Yeah. Now, please understand me. I'm not passing judgment. <laughs> I didn't have to. You understand why. So I heard it. I mean, if you're coming through a noise-canceling headphone, you loud, all right? So I'm sitting there. I kind of look. I'm like, oh, okay. So I keep going. And then when he gets off the phone, I can tell he's looking at me. And so you get that awkward stare, you know what I mean? He's like, okay, I think you're wanting to say something. So I, I move off one side and he says, Hey, sorry, I was talking loud on the phone. So I immediately thought. You knew that was wrong. Like you were doing it, but you knew it was wrong. And then it was, I was thinking about this verse. I'm like, see, you're convicting yourself. Which then I felt better about the guy. You know what I'm saying? because it's the ones who don't feel guilty about it that really concern me. And it's really the ones who talk on speakerphone in public. Right? I'm like, you're a psychopath. You have no (laughs) conscience. Right? Sorry, I just passed judgment on them. But I don't understand that. Literally, a few weeks earlier, I was in the same coffee shop studying and somebody was on the phone, on speakerphone, in that environment where everybody's talking. And I kid you not, I I did turn off the noise canceling headphones, but I left them on so they didn't know. So I was listening in on the conversation. See, I need Jesus too. And the other person, (laughs) the other person on the phone, I kid you not, the other person on the phone says, it's really loud in there they got you on speaker. I'll never understand that, man. I'll never understand that. Please, for the love of all things holy, do not talk on speakerphone in public. It's only rude to the other person. Anyway, so this, I'm having this conversation with this guy and he was obviously felt guilty about the fact that he was talking loud in public, which told me to some degree, okay, he's got a conscience, so he's not a psychopath. So then I felt I'm like, okay, I can deal with that, because you recognize it was wrong. It broke the spatial code that we have here, and then he apologized. I'm like, all right, cool. But that's a story of what I'm saying here. So you can get a sermon example from anywhere. So you have to be careful when you hang out with a pastor. You might be in it. <laughs> but but here's all Paul's saying. Listen, you have a standard. You have a conscience. You have a level of right and wrong but you don't obey it yourself. So just because you might think, well, I didn't grow up in church, and so therefore God can't hold me to the standard of this law, God's saying, well, I'm gonna hold you to the standard of your own law because you didn't even keep that. So here's the key thing, and he said it back in verse 12. Those who sinned without the law and those who sinned with the law. What's the common denominator with both people? They sinned. That's the point. And they're gonna be judged according to the gospel, according to the goodness of Jesus. Now he gets into the second category of people, the Jewish people, or we might say religious people, or you could even say Christian. Look at verse 17, and you're gonna have to hang with me here because I'm gonna read to verse 24, and then I'll explain it. It says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, And know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Now listen to this, verse 21. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Paul asks a lot of rhetorical questions in Romans. Do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? While you, uh, you who say that you must not commit adultery, do do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Verse 23 and 24, now listen to this. You boast in the law, you who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What is Paul saying here? saying, listen, the Gentiles, they don't have the law of God, but they break their own law and their consciousness convict victim of it. But you, Jewish people, you call yourself a Jewish person, you have the law, but you're gonna be judged as well. Why? Because you break the law. You break the law. If you wanna make it more personal to us today, you could translate it, if you call yourself a Christian and you boast in God, you boast in the law. That's, that's the real thing. You rely on the law and you boast in God. Oh, I know God. I'm a Christian. I go to church. It's all them sinners out there. That's the problem. If you talk like that, again, this is what we were talking about last week. If you have this judgmentalness in you towards other people who break laws, who sin, if you automatically think, well, I am better than them. Paul says, actually, you're worse than them because you have the law. You know what God's will says. You even claim to teach others, but you yourself break it. And this, the part that really slays me, he says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. See, when God chose, we'll get into this more in just a second. When he chose Abram out of the nations, you need to understand something. In Genesis chapter 12, we'll teach you this at some point, God willing. And when God chose Abram in in Genesis chapter 12, you need to understand that right before chapter 12 is chapter what? 11. You guys are so smart. Uh, And chapter 11 is the Tower of Babel, which is a really weird chapter in the Bible, but it is so crucial to understanding everything else in the Bible. At the Tower of Babel, God disperses all the people, makes all the nations. Before then, there was only one, and then he disperses all the nations, confuses the languages, because instead of spreading out and being fruitful and multiplying, they try to build something really big and get to God themselves. That's called religion. God says, I didn't call you to do that, which is why our vision is to multiply. I called you to multiply, be fruitful, spread out. They didn't want to, so God says, I'm gonna make you. And then he makes all the nations. And then in chapter 12, he chooses one nation, um, one person to make a nation to be a witness to all the other nations. So God didn't give up on all the nations when he dispersed them in Genesis chapter 11, because he chose one dude to make a nation. And then he says, your people, your descendants will be like the stars of the heaven and I will bless all the nations through you. That's the whole storyline of the Bible. And so the Jewish people, descendants of Abraham, were given the law. They were made, uh, Abraham was made righteous before God because of his faith, and they were given the law to be a witness to all the nations. The problem is, they didn't obey the law, so therefore, the name of God was blasphemed among all the nations. Again, you could translate it to us like this. How many people outside the church today blaspheme God because Christians don't do what they say. How many people have not come to God because Christians are hypocrites? And again, before you start judging, you won too. So why we say, man, the church is full of hypocrites, which is why you're welcome here, because you're a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites, every single one of us. Myself, included. I'm the biggest. So what's Paul getting at? He's saying, listen, just because you have the law doesn't mean you are made right with God. Why? Because it's not the hearing of it. It's the doing of it. It's the doing of it that justifies you. And that's a theological term. And and one of my pastor friends said, literally the word justified, it means to be made right before God. But the idea of it is, it's just if I'd never sinned. It's just if I'd never sinned. So you and I can't justify ourselves because we have sinned, which is why the good news of the gospel is good news is because Jesus never sinned. And according to his gospel, he will judge us. And what that means is we're not as good as him, but because of him, he will give us his righteousness and it will be before God just if I'd never sinned. God will grade my test based upon Jesus's scores. That's the good news of the gospel. But in order to be saved, I have to understand that I need to be saved. And this is the hardest thing for religious people, Jews and any other religious person, whether they are a Jew or not, is to understand, listen, just because I know some stuff, just because I have the law doesn't mean I'm right because I've broken the law. Then he goes a step further. And I wanted to pause here for a second because the next three verses we're gonna look at to a non-Jewish person are very confusing. And so we're gonna talk about something here for just a few minutes that I, I got, I'm gonna help you understand, but you gotta hang with me. Don't lose, don't, don't, don't lose me, all right? Look at this, verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded uh, as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. I hope I didn't lose you by the third circumcision there, all right? So hang with me. Have you ever read the Bible and thought, what in the mess is up with this dead gum circumcision? especially if you've read the letter to the Hebrews, because the letter to the Hebrews was written to Jewish people, Hebrews, to show them Jesus is your Messiah. So you get in there and you're like, I don't get it, I don't understand all this about circumcision miss. We gotta understand the history of it. So let me explain it to you briefly as I can. In Genesis chapter 15, remember the dude Abram, in Genesis 12, God says, go, I'll make you prosperous. I'll bless all the nations through you. In Genesis chapter 15, Abram's struggling. He's saying, God, you haven't given me a son yet. And God said, I will. And I think it's verse six of Genesis chapter 15, it says, And Abraham believed God, and it was credit to him as righteousness. Then in chapter 17, God does this crazy ceremony with Abram. Then after this, he changes his name. He shows Abram this ceremony which in the ancient Near East would have made total sense to them. But the concept was they didn't write contracts, they made covenants. And one of the ways they made covenants is they would take an animal, cut it in half, the two pieces, and then they would walk between them. And what that was signifying is if I don't do what I say, you can cut me in half like we did this animal. So that's how they made a covenant. Aren't you glad we just do e-sign today, right? Just contract. (laughs) So God, here's what's crazy. God did that with Abram. But he didn't make Abram walk through it. God himself walked through it. God walked through it. So God was saying to Abram, listen, if I don't keep my promise to you, you can do this to me. God put his name, his fame. Hebrews says he had nobody else bigger to swear by. So he swore by himself. He can't say I swear on my mama's grave because he doesn't have a mama. He swore on himself and he walked through. Then in response to that, he goes, Abram, you got to make a covenant too. You have to have a sign of this same covenant. Here's your sign, circumcision. Now you're like, why in the world would God tell him to do that? Again, think about it. God says, I'm going to give you a son. And then he tells him to cut off part of the very thing that's going to give him a son. Don't you know Abram's like, uh, say, what? Huh? <laughs> you, you want me to do what, Lord. Ain't no doctors. Ain't no mercy room. He had to do it himself. Yeah. No priest at that time. Every man just went. But here's the point. Here's the point. Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 17. In Genesis 15, he trusted God. And then in Genesis 17, the sign of the covenant was given to him. So here's what Paul is saying. The outward sign means nothing without the inward trust. The outward sign means nothing without the inward trust. And what was the problem with Jewish people? They thought if they had the outward sign and they had the law, they were fine. So again, translate this into Christian world. The New Testament covenant sign, thank God, is no longer circumcision, but it's baptism. Another ism, baptism. Baptism. And why do we do that sign? Because we are doing that sign, which we're gonna do April 14th, coming up. If you haven't been baptized, if you haven't trust Jesus, you can trust Jesus, we'll get you baptized, all right? Why do we baptize the way that we do? We don't sprinkle, we dunk. Why? Because that's what the word means. It means to immerse. And, And why do we do it? We go back signifying, I'm dying, I'm dead. I have died to myself. But the good news is because of Jesus, I can come out of the water. Just because Jesus came out of the grave, I didn't come out of the grave. If I'm trusting in Jesus, this sign is signifying what's gonna happen to me when they put my body six feet under in dirt. And we baptize in water, because it's easier to do in dirt. And there's some other significance to it. But here's the point. Does baptism save you? No, I ain't never saved anybody, never will. Does having a Bible with a really nice bound up holder on it save anybody? No. So Paul could be saying to us, listen, just because you have the Bible and just because you've been baptized doesn't mean you're saved. Because you can have the outward signs without the inward reality and you're still condemned. So he's talking to Jewish people. Now he says two things. Look at verse 28 and 29. We're gonna close out this chapter and this is the part I really wanted to hone in on. He's gonna say something ridiculous. Verse 28, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Now, was circumcision outward and physical? Yeah, but it wasn't merely outward and physical. What does he mean by that? Look at verse 29. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the spirit, not by the letter, His praise is not from man, but from God. If you want to understand the entire message of Romans, memorize those two verses. In fact, those two verses are going to be incredibly important when we get to Romans chapter 9 through 11. When we get to chapter 9 through 11, they have to be interpreted through these two verses. Now, we're not going to get there until the fall of this year, so months and months and months later, but if you were reading this letter, you'd get there in like 10 or 15 minutes. And so Paul's arguing all the way through, but here's his point. Listen, just because you have the outward sign of circumcision, just because you have the outward law doesn't mean you've had an inward heart transformation. And here's what he's arguing. Just because you are physically a descendant of Abraham and you have the Torah and you've been circumcised doesn't mean that the wrath of God is still not on you. Now, here's what's crazy for us non-Jewish people. And non-Jewish, I'm saying ethnically Jewish. The goal is not to make ethnically Jewish people Christians. That's not the goal. He'll get into this in chapter 11. They're not grafted into Christianity. The mystery of the gospel is Gentiles are grafted into Judaism. Judaism. So the goal is not to make Jewish people Christians. Remember, Christians came from the title in Acts chapter nine, which is simply a reference to Christ. Christianity at the end of the day is not a different faith. I know that's shocking to you. And you're like, "Ah, what? Yeah, God is not saving people in the New Testament a different way than he saved people in the Old Testament. He is saving people in the New Testament the exact same way he saved people in the Old Testament because how was Abram saved in the Old Testament? He was saved because he believed God and it was credit to him as righteousness. He was not saved by circumcision. He for sure wasn't saved by the law. You wanna know why? Because the law didn't come until 430 years after that period. This is why when people are like, the Old Testament Testament's just a bunch of laws. Well, have you read it? because for the whole first part of it, there wasn't all, there was one, actually two. Don't touch that tree and be fruitful and multiply. God's a God of rules. Mm -mm. Don't touch that tree and have a happy marriage. That's my God. Yeah, Lord. Mm -hmm. That was his rules. Be like, God's got a rules. No, he's not. He's got a relationship. Why did he give us a bunch of rules? Because we invent sin. So what's the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was never to save you. We'll get into this in Romans. It was there to show you that you needed saving. That's why it's there. So here's the crazy thing. What what Paul is saying is, listen, you are made a Jew when God circumcises your heart, not your flesh. That's how you're made a Jew, which picks up on what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse six. You don't have to turn there. I don't have it on the screen, but listen to what he said. He said, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul that you may live. So we are made right with God when God cuts out our old heart and puts in a new one. And how does he do that? He does it by the Spirit. You wanna know just how cool God is? I don't know if you have the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, but if you do, look up what today's verse is. If you haven't already looked it up, it's like, oh, dang it, I know I should have read it this morning. Listen, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but you wanna know what it says? It's out of Ezekiel. And you wanna know the prophecy that God gave Ezekiel? He says, I will cut out your heart of stone and I will put in a heart of flesh and I'll make you love me and obey my law. What are the chances that we'd be on this verse and today that's the verse reading? It's almost like there's a God. Almost. So here's the point. The point today is not become a Christian or become a Jew By following these rules. The point today is by the Spirit of God. That's a preposition of means, which means how it happens is through the Spirit, not by you. So you are saved when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes. He takes out your old heart, puts in your new heart, and by faith you are saved. It all comes down to trust. And if you've done that, you're a real Jew. So I know you came in here today thinking, I'm a Christian, but really, realistically, biblically speaking, if you've been saved by the Spirit, you're a Jew. Not ethnically, but you were grafted in because Paul's going to say in Romans chapter 11, way back then, God announced the gospel to Abraham when he said, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, which includes Jewish people and non-Jewish people. So the mystery of the gospel is you and I get all the promises made to the Jewish people in the Old Testament because of Christ. Because Christ is the ideal Jew. Christ is the perfect Jewish person. He obeyed the law perfectly. And if you and I will trust him, then the Holy Spirit rips out our old heart, puts in a new heart, we're made right with God, and we're justified. Not because we obeyed the law perfectly, but because he did. And it's credited to us as righteousness. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And I love how he says this, the last line of the chapter. He says, his praise is not from man, but from God. That word "their praise, means approval. And the word from is a preposition of source. Let me ask it to you like this. Who is the source of your approval? Who is the source of your approval? Is it man or is it God? How do you know? Let me ask it like this. Whose opinion do you care about the most? This is why when we live in this self-saturated, focused, narcissistic world of social media, we put so much stock on other people's approval of us, which I just gotta be honest, I still don't understand why we based our our feeling of our life based upon somebody else's likes of our photo. Are you serious? I mean, again, I'm not bagging on you, I'm not ragging on you, I'm just telling you it's ridiculous. All it has done is increase the anxiety of our students. Don't believe me, then come serving students. It has just increased our anxiety as a society because now we have instant measurements and approvals of others or disapprovals of others. And Paul's saying, listen, if you live your life for the approval of men, you will die judged. But if you live your life for the approval of God in Christ Jesus, and he will approve of you, not because of you, but because of what Jesus did for you. That's why you're free. Now, this also applies to religious people. Religious people, let me ask you a question. Who's the source of your approval? Is it God or is it man? Not out there, but this man. You wanna know why religious people have checklists? Because they have to know how to measure themselves. And boy, i hit all the checks, man, I'm doing good today. I read my Bible, I even read it twice. I even listened to Fish or Victory 91.5. I even gave an extra dollar in the tithe today. Look at this, I'm doing so good. They're approving themselves. And you wanna know why religious people are so judgmental? You wanna know why they have to down other people? Because they want you to know that those other people aren't as good as them. You wanna know why people who call themselves Christians gossip so much? It's because they feel guilty. And they have to let you know they're better than the ones they're talking about. Ruh-roh, Scooby. You want to know why you gossip so much? Approval. This is why those who are in Christ, they don't have to down anybody. Nor do they have to care about whether or not everybody likes them. They're free to love God and love others. Because their approval is from God. Their source is God. And Paul's saying, that's how you know they've had an inward heart transformation. If God sees Jesus when he sees me, what does it matter what you see when you see me? If I've got God, I have all the approval I need. But here's the deal. I'm not freed up now to judge you. I'm freed up now to love you, which that is the essence of the law. When Jesus summarized the law in Matthew 22, how did he summarize the entire law of the Old Testament? Two things he said, love the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 30, and love your what? Neighbor as yourself. You wanna know how you have a heart transformation? Is you love Jesus and you love others. That's how you know. And you're freed up from approval because you are now like Abram. You are a Genesis or Galatians chapter three, verse seven. If you wanna know more about this, read Galatians chapter three and we gotta close this out. But Galatians chapter three, verse seven, it says, it's the children of faith who are the children of Abraham. So the good news of the gospel is, in Jesus Christ, you stand approved if you trust him because he'll count to you his righteousness. And if you have that, love others the same way you've been loved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this grace in which we stand. You didn't choose Abram because he was worth choosing. You chose him because you wanted to show your grace in him. And when he trusted you and it was counted to him as righteousness, that came by the Spirit. It didn't come by the law because there was no law. It came by the Spirit. So he was saved in the same way we're saved, by the Spirit. And so God, we know that no one comes to you unless your Spirit first comes to them and opens their eyes and enables them to see and gives them a will to respond in faith. So I pray right now you would do that. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. The only way that you're gonna be justified before God is if you trust the one who obeyed the law. If you have faith in him, then God will credit to you his righteousness and you'll be approved by God. So if you wanna trust Jesus and be saved right there where you are, you can pray Confess, believe. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. Not out loud, but you can pray with me. It goes like this, say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I admit I'm a sinner and I accept Jesus' payment for my sin, and I ask you to credit to me his perfection, so I can be made right with you. Thank you so much for loving me. Nobody looking around or talking in as we close, but if you just trusted Jesus for the first time, very simply, right there where you are, would you just lift your hand up so we can see it? Thank you. Thank you. We got men and women are gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put your hand down. But then those of us who would say that we've trusted Jesus and today you found out that really that means you're a child of God, which means you're a son of Abraham, which means you are really a Jew, not by birth, but by rebirth, because God grafted you in. And you're approved by him now. And so now what God requires of you, he enables for you. That's what Ezekiel says. When he gives you a new heart, he says, I will cause you to obey. So now it doesn't mean that those who trust God don't obey the law. Now what it means is we are empowered by the spirit to do what we never could have done. And the whole point of obeying the law is to love God and love others. And so what that means for us is we don't have a judgmental attitude. There's no boasting. There's no arrogance. We're just gonna simply love others the way that we've been loved. It doesn't mean we don't have a standard of right and wrong. It just means that we help people, not hurt them with our gossip and words about them. And that's how you know the gospel has taken root in a church. Is not only when the message of the good news is preached, but the method of the good news is lived out. We love and how we've been loved. So Father, would you do that? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to so invade our church, so that cities are transformed because our hearts have been transformed. Thank you for loving us in Jesus name, amen.